Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. You'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I'm feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. A revival of the community market, promising you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. 
a beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out. Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to Contacts. We are joined today by Brandon Gonzalez, who is the Director of Athletics and Student Life at Pacifica Christian School in Newport Beach, California. Welcome, Coach. What's up, Justin? Thanks for having me, man. Happy to have you here. So if you don't mind, if you could share how you got into coaching at the very beginning and what steps along the journey have led to where you are now as an officer at the school you're at and not just overseeing the athletics program, but also student life and what that path has looked like. Yeah, I'm trying to think about it. So soccer was my jam growing up. I was a high school soccer player, played club, went to college, played soccer in college. And just like in California, as, as high school soccer, at least in Southern California, is a winter sport where college athletics for soccer is a fall sport. So anyways, went to college, played, season ended. And, and some of the guys older than me were like, hey, we, we all go coach in the winter. We go coach JV teams or frost soft teams. And, you know, as a college athlete, you're like, sure, I'll go coach and get paid to do it and be around soccer or whatnot. So that kind of was my first window into coaching, getting that done pretty early on. I was thinking I was 19, went back to my alma mater and was their varsity assistant coach for two years doing that. Loved it. Thought it was a blast being around the, the guys. It had some challenges and you're going back and coaching guys you played with. So there's a little bit of that like line now you got to build and, and dig in the sand. You know, but did that for two years. Went back and coached at another school after that, closer to my college, Biola University down here in Southern California. And did two years of JV down there. At that school, it was called Whittier Christian. And then me and my wife, I went to grad school, took a break from coaching. We moved to Seattle and finally got the itch to get back into it. I was finishing up grad school, wanted to be an athletic director. And that was like on my path and was only coaching boys at this point. So found another boys team, did a, a stint there. And then the school, I was called the Bear Creek School that I was working at originally. I had an athletic director position and a girls soccer head coaching position open up. Up in Seattle, where I was living, to be their AD and girls soccer coach. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to coach girls soccer. Never knew anything about it. I was a guys coach. Just wanted to do. I uh, originally didn't actually get the job. They gave it to someone else. Didn't work out with that person. So a couple weeks later, they were going to buy and school was starting. They're like, hey, would you come back and take the job? I was like, sure. That's what I wanted to do. I did it. I had no clue what I was getting into with coaching girls, but somehow we won state that first year. <laughs> 
I know it was crazy. We had, it was like that movie, The Big Green, man. Like we had 15 girls on the varsity team and they were coming off of a kind of a rough year. And, and somehow I, I piecemealed some players together, pulled in a few girls, basketball players, because soccer up there is in the fall. So I was like, hey, come play. One of them was a goalie because they shed good hands. And we won the state. So that was fun. I, I got my foot in the door. The, the problem with all of this is we actually went to the state final three years in a row and won two of those. So success bred success and more girls started wanting to come and play. We got really good, had this cool three or four year run. And ever since then, no one's hired me for boys soccer. It's only been girls soccer. <laughs> so Pacifica, where I'm at now, it's a new school. It's only seven years old. One of the first sports they were launching when the school opened was girls soccer. So that kind of is how it all came full circle to where I'm at now. They're director of athletics and student life, continuing to coach girls soccer here. Been here seven years. Love it. Ton of fun. Well, I have a whole lot of questions on that. So <laughs> we are going to go way off script. And I want to ask this, and I've never asked this on the show before, but you said you got into it while you were still a player. Correct. And I started coaching at my alma mater, started coaching JV teams, all of those youth things. How did coaching impact your ability as a player? Interesting. You know, it, it I became a smarter player, probably first and foremost. It didn't, it didn't affect, you know, my technical ability, even though I'd go out there and run around with the kids and play. But when you're standing on the sideline watching the game unfold as you want it, as you hope it does with the kids you're coaching, you just see it differently. I was a center back in college. So center backs tend to have, they have to be big and strong and burly, win the ball in the air and get stuck in. Well, center backs have more time than they think on the ball and coaching at the lower levels and working your way up. You just see the game differently. You learn how to be smarter, how to read things that maybe as a player your whole life, you don't have that bird's eye view. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. And the reason I ask that is because I have, Noticed the same thing specifically this year after a year of not playing. We didn't play for probably 20 months or more. And seeing our athletes and the ones that naturally have a lot of reps over the years, the reads they can make on the floor versus the ones that are still figuring it out, right, when the game slows down. I was just curious if there was a way you could put it into words, and you did a great job of that as to the impact of taking yourself out of the cauldron and watching mm -hmm. and trying to teach others what that does for your ability to play. And really, if there's athletes listening, that's where often when they're hurt, when they're on a bench, they're engaging the game, but they're not watching it at the level that would actually help them get better. So yeah. hopefully they can take some away from that. The other thing that I thought was really interesting and it took me back to my first coaching job was this idea of, young alums coming back to coach and being around people they may have been teammates with. Yeah. And you mentioned, I had to learn some things right away. What can you offer to coaches who often have to mine their local talent that they've just graduated to coach with them? How do you navigate that? What suggestions do you have for getting the most out of those young um, alums that are working with you so that there's not the contentiousness that probably occurs if you're not careful around. Yeah, no, totally. So it's great because we actually had one of my girls soccer alum who just graduated two years ago. She's playing at Vanguard University has come on staff and helped us coach the last couple of years. So it's been really fun to help navigate the do's and don'ts. I think the biggest thing for the alum is make sure they feel they're a part of the coaching staff. 
if you have a history, like for me, I've had three or four coaches with me for almost the whole seven years we've been here. So adding Brooklyn on new, her name is Brooklyn. I was important that my staff knew, Hey, she's one of us now. It may be hard to see that early. Like she was just a player, but making her feel like she's part of the staff, I think just sends the message, even with the team consciously or subconsciously that Brooklyn's not just hanging out with us, pumping up balls anymore. She's with the meetings with the staff. If it's basketball, if it's volleyball, if it's soccer, give them that space to live in, I think is important. And then give them meaningful work. Don't just have them stand on the sidelines. Like I would make Brooklyn be in charge of, hey, you're going to run a finishing drill today. This is what I want to see. Go after and get it and empower them. They're going to fail. Mm-hmm. But, but as coaches, like young, there's no different in developing young players than young coaches. You want them to, you want to help them grow. You want to help them learn how to do this. So yeah, go ahead. They're going to say something. <laughs> yeah. That's great from the setting the athletes up. What are you doing with that young coach to help them understand the professionalism that is now required and the boundaries they have to create yeah. to protect themselves? Because you're now dealing with a whole different deal in, in terms of liability, uh, risk management, and things of that nature. Yeah. Quite frankly, I treat them or her just like a, a new coach we'd onboard. Here's the do's and don'ts. It's going to, and it, it's sure, it's a little harder at times where um, they may have that connectedness with some of the players, but at the same time, you want to try to hire an alumni that's going to do it. You don't just want to let any alumni on, like the knucklehead who never played, who was always a kid getting in trouble. So you just set those expectations like you would with any of your assistants who have been around forever. That's how we treated her. That's how we helped her understand those lines. Hey, you can't be alone with players. You can't, you know, be texting them or calling them like there's protocols to that and helping them just hit the ground running straight on. And then I hold her accountable, just like I hold all my coaches accountable to that degree. Well, I think the biggest takeaway that I would mine out of there for people who are looking for specifics is it's really important that you clearly delineate boundaries because they're going from student to adult and they are still Mm going to have relationships with those kids they were in school with But unfortunately, as soon as they sign the contract or put the shirt on or whatever, you're no longer in the same role. And you have to understand that. And I think that's something that people can front load to make sure that everybody wins in those situations. And I'd go as far, real quick, I'd I'd go as even as far as to say it may be even wise to not have alumni come back and coach the opposite gender right off the bat either there's just a lot of immaturities there i think between having boys come back and coach girls or girls just just save yourself the hassle (laughs) yeah yeah and where i'm at with it and i think this has been learned through observation no catastrophic failures but you cannot coach here until the students you went to school with have graduated Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so you were a senior when those freshmen are out come on back Um, until then, unless it's a very unique circumstance, we are going to just have to press pause for this. Let me follow up with this because I think it is in alignment with this discussion thread. You got hired as the AD and head soccer coach in essentially your first job. Sounds like at 24 at 24 me, I did as well. So this question is perfect. What did you realize right away that you had to figure out as a head coach? and as an administrator two different threads yeah it's funny you say that you can be an assistant coach or an assistant ad and be in a room with someone for 10 years and think you know that job until you sit in that seat you really don't know the job so you so part of you you go into that i went into it being like yeah i got this i got it be a head coach it's easy i've been doing this assistant thing for so long and 
I went to school to be an athletic director. I got this. Stepping in those shoes, it's a big difference. I think the biggest thing that I needed to do that I had learned through stepping into that as a coach and as an administrator, I think is important for both is you have to be able to communicate clearly, precisely. You need to be able to articulate the why in everything you do. I think for me coming in, especially at a private school, and you probably have the similar you know feeling there is you need to be able to stand on two feet and be stand true to the convictions that you have of why you want to do what you do and be, be ready to have pushback, be ready to have people disagree with you. And a lot of times as an assistant ED or as an assistant coach, you're not the one taking the brunt of that. Mm-hmm. You're the one that's just behind the scenes hearing the ED or the head coach complain about it. So I think for me coming in at 24, that was probably the biggest thing I had to learn quickly was I need to be able to communicate very clearly and precisely my why. Why am I going to do what I'm going to do? And then the second thing I think too, that I look back, if I was going to say, what would be the advice to give Brandon at 24? It's just to assume the best of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of these parents just want to be heard. A lot of your coaches just want to be heard. They want vision. They want to know that you care. And at 24, I thought I knew everything. So I went into every meeting a little bit of, no, I know what's up. I know what's right. There could be truth in some of the things those parents are saying. You may not agree with all of it, but it's like a conference. You take one thing away from it, it's a success. I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, it does. 100% on the athletic director side. What about on yeah. the coaching side? Because you <sighs> had not had administrative training per se you had coaching training as a jv coach working for some other people getting some different lenses you were prepared but as you said you're never prepared till you sit in the seat what can you offer as a first-time head coach up north and now back at this school where coaches listening a b c that's what you need to focus on Focus on everyone from top to bottom. I think that's worked for me in my career. We're going in and winning a state title my first year. It was really important to me that this team felt like they were one. Your 18th player off the bench has a role. Make sure they know what that role is. It may not be the starter, may not be the person that plays a bunch of minutes, but make sure your team from top to bottom has a, an understanding of the best of their ability, what their role is. Be, and this one's the big one that I, I had to work through a lot. I think whoever your staff is, make sure they know where they are in this process. Give them a vision for where you're going. Give them a vision for themselves. You want people to follow you as a leader, as the head coach, help them understand what that vision is, what that goal is, what you're all working hard for. You spend countless hours in some of these sports, especially basketball and football. Your staff needs to know who you are and bought into what you want to do. And then quite frankly, the third one, if you just get over time, is just being able to read the game as a head coach, to make good tactical decisions, in-game decisions. When you're not a head varsity coach, you know, JV, you could say you learned it a little bit in the JV level, but as a varsity coach, you only get better at those in-game decisions by being in those games over and over. And, and this probably doesn't address this question, but I would say I really struggled early on with the why I wanted to coach because in my first three years of a head coach, I went to three state finals mm-hmm. and you, I won two state championships. So when you go from, we're going to win the state, we're going to work, we have all these competitive goals. When you reach those and you're only 26 or seven, Mm-hmm. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Is, and, and that was what I really wrestled with in trying to figure out the why am I doing this thing called coaching. Mm-hmm. So what would you say then, since that seems to be a big focal point for you now, which is the why of what you do, what would you say that is the best thing you do programmatically, either as a soccer coach or administratively as a department that helps to craft the culture that you want to have. 
And in that, what I mean is, if you were to leave, what's coming with you regardless of anything else, public school, private school, religious school, sectarian, right? Whatever it is, what is that thing? The one thing I would take with me wherever I go in the world of athletics is a no-cut policy. Uh, We have that here. I took it from my last school. I'm sure many schools do it. A lot of schools don't. But finding kids a place that they can call their own to be a part of something bigger than themselves, to take ownership and have opportunity. There's enough rejection in the world when a 14-year-old kid gets rejected. That, that's a life-changing event. But if you can say, hey, if you're going to show up and work hard and be a part of the team and obey the rules, I'm not guaranteeing you're going to play, but you're going to get that journey. Mm-hmm. And they often, more often than not, look back and they're so appreciative of the, the, the character traits that came from that, the time management, the discipline, like all the things you hope they get through sports. That would be the one thing I would take with me that we do here. We have a no-cut policy across all our co-curriculars, athletics, arts, student life. We have a place for you. Again, I tell parents, it doesn't mean it's equal playing time. Tell our coaches, does we want to win. We want to be competitive. We have a few kids on our team who would, they could barely catch a basketball. Mm-hmm. Yet they get in that one game their senior year and seeing the three and the place erupts. The mom comes out crying. And that's what we do it, man. That's why we want to provide athletics for these kids the best we can. I like that. And I have more questions about that that we'll get into off the pod. Maybe we'll do a round two of how to enact one of those things. But how do you take your observational and leadership challenge in coaching other teams now, coaches? You're the soccer coach, but you also have to run basketball. You have to run the whole department, right? Yeah. What have you learned watching other sports, other coaches that aren't soccer coaches that you've been able to steal and apply to your soccer program? Mm. Good question. What I love what my basketball coach does, he brings a ton of energy to practice and everybody's high-fiving everyone's, hey, get a water break, high-five someone as you go get water. Hey, jog off the court, jog on the court. I really love that it keeps the momentum and the energy of practice up-tempo, uh, it keeps the kids engaged with each other, especially in a sport like soccer. Our varsity team's like 22, and we have defenders on one side and attackers over here, whatever. Coach calls you in, goes over next game plan. All right, jog off, get a drink, high five, someone on your way over. Just this positive energy, I think, is important. I've really taken that away from, from what he does. And I think that's something that I've always done, which I encourage my coaches to do throughout whatever their, their season or their teams, is just do all the small things, do all the little things well. Because the little things add up. You're trying to build good habits, right? You're trying to build... A, a way you do business. And that can be, hey, when you guys, are, when, you're, when you call your team up, stick around, if you want them to look you in the eyes, tell them to look you in the eyes. Like just do all those little things that adds up. So that's the biggest thing from right now, from where I'm at. My head basketball coach has done a really good job at like positive energy, getting people bought in. And with girls, it's important. And you probably know this, just they need to know you care about them and they trust you and you care about their, who they are as a person because then they'll run through that brick wall. Mm-hmm. Dudes, I can hate my coach. I just don't want to lose to the guy across the court for me. <laughs> like I want to go battle no matter what. So for my female you know, athletes and our girls team, like it's important to know my, me and my staff care uh, who they are as people. Um, so. so you had a lot of success early as you've described. And it seems like following that as well, you've continued to be successful mm-hmm. and not faced a ton of failure. Let's call it sure you've had some adversity we all did in the last few years with COVID but in regards to just flat out sucking you haven't had that experience it would seem but I'm still curious 
how your approach to coaching has changed over the last 11 years or whatever it happens to be from a standpoint of, as you described, I'm 24. And by the time I'm 26, I've got two state titles and played in three games. Like mm-hmm. I got the recipe. What's changed though, as you've, if you've gone forward for whatever reason, either maybe you have run into a slammed your face on the ground at some point, who knows, but huh. like what, what has shifted? Yeah. No, it's a good question. I've wrestled with, do I keep coaching? Is it something I still want to do as an administrator? Like where our time and our hours are very limited throughout the day. I think, I don't know how Tom Brady and those guys do it. Who They're just built to win championships. And it's like that or bust. But I've learned at least working with young people and high schoolers, there's more to just winning the championships. And I think early on, that's all I cared about because that's what I wanted. That's what I was doing. We were winning championships. We were postseason bound state final all that stuff year after year and it became this like just creature of habit almost and then you realize like okay you don't make it that one year and my job in leading these young women is to help them still feel empowered and encouraged and that they can accomplish stuff but I found myself being like just as discouraged and disappointed which to a degree you should be but almost like putting that on them when I'm there to help lead them and I think enough of that has helped me shift and 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 listening to mentors and people who have one perennial powerhouse, but also realize like it's the process. The journey has to mean more than the outcome. And I talk a lot about that here. If we hate our teammates and we hate our coach and this whole journey sucks, but we won state, then we failed. We missed the boat. So I focus now a ton on making our kids better competitively. I want them, if they want to play in college, I want them to help get there. And we have a good track record of sending athletes from Pacifica to play in college, specifically soccer. But I focus a ton on the journey, team culture, team community, you know, events that we do off the soccer pitch. We have we have a a bowling pin that we go bowling once a year and the winning team signs it. So there's just like rotating bowling pin from going back seven years now. So that's the biggest change. Like and I would tell coaches, look, focus on the fabric of your team, the culture of your team, the foundation of your team, because the winning's a byproduct of that. And at the end of the day, especially these young female athletes they're going to care and remember more how their coach treated them. Not that they won or lost in the state for 10 years from now. I think that's the case in regards to a lot of the chatter you hear about old school coaching, new school coaching, kids have changed, adults have changed. The, the Tom Izzo drama where people want to rake him over the coals. And it's like, how do you take all of the different approaches that one could take stay authentic to yourself but also keep this the the athlete at the center of the equation and to your point before we got on the recording we were talking about meeting people where they are like how do you make sure that kids are being coached hard but they're not crossing the line if that makes any yeah. sense. And I know okay. it's like at a school like yours, at a school like mine, that's never going to be the case. But mm-hmm. how do you ensure and spread the message that you can get the same outcomes from kids without being soft, without being overly hard, right? Whatever words you want to throw in there that are superlatives. I think part of the beauty of athletics is overcoming adversity. Mm-hmm. Like the beauty of being a part of a team is being able to work towards a common goal through good and bad. Mm-hmm. and you don't want to water that down like and, and the process of what that looks like my girl soccer team we had a girl who came up to me in the years like, hey, i can only make three practices a week I'm like hey you know we still love you and that's okay but you can't be a part of this team because you got to get through hell week you got to be at five practices a week that's part of what it takes to do this so i think the the idea that you can't be 
the Tom Izzo's or whatever of the world anymore is not as true. I think you just have to, because of where we are, you have to explain the why more. And maybe that's just why I found more success in that. We're a small school of 250 and I have a 40 person soccer program. Mm-hmm. We have two, and that's varsity JV girls because the why is this is what we do. This is how it makes you a better person. I'm going to run you ragged and you're going to know that there's a reason for it. It's not, I don't think we should change for that. Cause I think there's value in the hard work that there's things you learn on the basketball court or the soccer field. You don't learn in the classroom. One of that is really physical hard work. Mm-hmm. There's things in the classroom. You don't learn the basketball court, soccer court, whatever it is. I don't know if that answers it, but just thinking through it out loud, it's like, we shouldn't alter and change the work piece and the discipline and those aspects, those are very important character traits. Off, really, our kids don't get anymore mm-hmm. in this country. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and for sure. And I think there's a certain component, and I talked to some of my athletes about it, where it's like, just because I'm not yelling and MFing you in your face doesn't mean I'm not holding you to standard. Mm-hmm. I just have a different way of doing it. And yeah. it's like, your boss isn't like calling you in and making you cry in a professional workplace. Right? That's yeah. not, that dude's not going to be in that job very long. So yeah. how can you take having standards, being firm, holding kids accountable, being disciplined and marry that while respecting the soul of these people we're working mm-hmm. with? Right. And making sure we're trying to uplift that in a positive way. And and I don't think there is an answer. I just think that often, especially when I was growing up, it wasn't really something that was thought about or discussed. And I think it's coming more into the forefront of conversation as a lot of these things are these days, which leads me to this. And it doesn't have to be athletics related, but what is something that you have most recently changed your mind on? And while you're thinking about that, this is a question that gets asked on another podcast and I heard it once and I went home and I like brought it up with my family and I was just like this is a great question right now what have you most recently changed your mind on especially with two teenagers one's a freshman in college now the other one's a junior but as you said at the beginning at 24 I thought I knew everything yeah yeah, teenagers that live in my house think they know everything so it's like how do you challenge your most deeply held beliefs on a regular basis to see if you're still right. And it doesn't have to be athletics related. Yeah, no, that's a good question, dude. That's a deep question. I'm curious, I gotta go back and listen to some other podcasts and see what people replied or respond to that one. Um, Man, all right, so I'm gonna not even go the athletic route. And I love, honestly, I love your thoughts on this too, your feedback on it. The world that we live in takes so much of our time and so much of, the man hours that we have in the day as, as people, Justin, you, me, Brandon, and having now, I have two kids under two and I have a you know, wife that stays home. Is this what I want to do the rest of my life? I thought at 24, I, I went and got my master's in athletic administration. I want to be an AD. I want to be a coach and all that stuff. And yeah, to be fair, you question at certain times in your career and call it whatever you want, midlife crisis, whatever, whatever. Do I want to be gone every night of the week at a basketball? or other kids supporting their children and family children of my own. I'd love to know what your thoughts were on that as you have kids a little bit older and maybe you've gotten through that. Mm -hmm. But that is probably in the last three or four years been the biggest, like, can I do this rest of my life? I love it. I love what I do. Mm -hmm. My family comes first, man. My answer to that is twofold. It's, I think 
And you're in the, I, I don't even know what your generation is called. I'm assuming you're like early thirties. I'm mid yeah. late forties. So I am <laughs> a child of the baby boomer generation where our generation was taught the same as most, which is go to school, you go to college, you get a job, you work there for 30, 40 years, you retire, you do whatever you're going to do. Whereas whatever the stats are these days on job retention, and it's like people change jobs like 12 times in their lives these days. Yeah. I didn't grow up with that mentality. And so when I got similar to you, was coaching college basketball, went to coach high school because my wife told me she wanted to go back to school and I needed to get a job. I was like, I have a job. She's like, no, one that actually pays you. Because, right, being an assistant basketball coach at the Division II level, I was making $6,000. And then I got wow. another six from summer camps. And it was like, yeah, that doesn't work. So it was like, all right. Yeah. So I went and I interviewed and I got lucky. I got a high school coaching job. Started substitute teaching and working on my teaching credential. So it was like, I'm going to be a high school coach. And then into that period, it was the coaching, the, the teaching <laughs> was almost like, all right, I have to do this so I can do this part at the end. Yeah. By the end of my time at my first school, it was I'm burned out and I need a break. And the whole thing was I got into teaching so that I could coach. And yeah. so I moved home, similar to what you did, because my children at that time were five and three. And okay. it was like, no, I'm just going to teach. And then like the godfather, you just keep getting sucked back in. Every time <laughs> you're out, they pull you yeah. back. In. And so ended up coaching. JVs ended up coaching seventh graders was there for two years and got a call from my alma mater, which is where I'm at now. And it was like, Hey, we might have a job. And it was like doing what activities directors. I never thought about doing that. You're going to teach history. I never taught history. It's okay, cool. And so being open to things as they come, I think is super important. Mm -hmm. And if you love what you're doing, then you can be all in on it because you're not working. You're showing up and you're having a great time yeah. every single day and you get paid for it. The thing to your question that I think is what I've most recently changed my mind on in the last couple of years is where did this idea that you have to practice for two hours a day, every day, you have to do X, Y, and Z, you got to be in the film room, you got to do all these things. Where did that take root? And why don't we question that enough? So for example, over the last few years, I've tried to coach our coaches on, hey, if you need more than 90 minutes, you're not being very efficient. And selling that, right? And then also looking at myself, and this year's the perfect example with COVID cancellations and whatnot. I've practiced longer than the 90 minutes when we've had practices, but we are in the last week of our season and we're on practice number 30. Usually we're in the 50s. Okay. Yeah. And so it's, we're still doing okay. And it's, yeah. huh, what is that time really getting you on the back end? And how do you look at that as, and anybody listening, maybe you agree, maybe not. Time is our most valuable resource because it's the only one that's non-renewable, right? You're yeah. not getting those minutes back. So how do you repurpose those into what Tim Ferriss will call the minimum effective dose and maximizing your time on task to where today's a perfect example, all these COVID cancellations. So we played last night and you guys win. Yeah, it was a battle, but we got done. We played last Bad night. Boy. Yet we were supposed to practice at three o'clock today after school, but with a cancellation, it was like, Oh, nope. Frost boys got to play there now. 
So it's either go at 6.30 in the morning when the JV team is already scheduled to go at nine o'clock at night yeah. or adjust. So it's like, okay, we're going to lift. We're going to do an hour of film right before the girls game. So the boys go watch the girls and yeah. then we're going to roll it out and play again tomorrow. And at the end of the day, it's, will we be prepared? Yeah. Will we be as sharp? I don't know. Maybe it'll help us to have a mental day. But like in the past, we're going three hours. We're going nonstop. Like we don't take a break for anything. And it's like, yeah. That, in a nutshell, is a storyline to help you in your question. How do you balance that in regards to your family and growing with them into this job and then figuring out how do you involve them in everything that you do? The parents of my athletes were a major part of raising my children. It was like, mm. we come to the game. Here you go. I'll come get her after the game. Yeah. And it was like, all right, yeah. they're on the bus. They're on the bench. So they grow up with that where you can do both. But if it ever gets to the point where you're not being present for them, that's where you gotta take a step back and ask to your point, the why and what's really important. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's true. Like into that, it's funny because Bella, our daughter, she's like a soccer rat, man. She's at every practice. She's with all the girls that are hurt. They'll take care of her. And what's even funnier, and here's what I think has been a blessing for me with the soccer piece. Me and my wife have coached soccer together for 10 years. Wow. So we have coached girls soccer, every team we've been a part, back since the Bear Creek days together. And it's oftentimes we're better coaches than we are spouses. I'll admit that. We'll be like, I can't you. I'll see you at practice. And we're going to practice everything's like flowers and daisies and whatnot. It is helpful to your point. You're getting at like when your family is also all in and what you're doing. This is more, it just helps it. It helps them understand the why and what you're doing. And being away a lot, it's just, it's a question I've asked recently. And, and I actually want to talk a little bit quickly on, I completely agree with you on your question on the practice times. Like I had a huge talk with our girls volleyball coach a couple of years ago. You're not going to get them any better going three hours the day before a state quarterfinal game. There's nothing you can teach them in that moment. That's going to make them technically better the next day. What they need to do is maybe get out there and stretch, get a yoga girl to come in, let them have some fun, get their minds. We got a big game tomorrow. Like you don't need to go these three hour, two and a half, two hour practices at this point in the year. Sure. It's hell week. Go at it. Get after it. Set the tone, work their butts off. Three months into the season. And, and there may be a justification for it. At the end of the day, it's like asking the question, am I doing this because it's how it's always been done? Or am I doing it because it's the best practice and what is needed at this particular moment in time. And at, again, a yeah. school like ours, I teach, I coach and teach at a boarding school. These kids are on a program schedule, breakfast, class, sport, dinner, study hall, bed. Where are you getting everything in? There? And so yeah. it's like, at the end of the day, how do you redefine success? To your point, is it only the state championship or is it the journey being more important than the outcome as you described earlier and getting the adults who are leading these students to become better adults? Yeah. To focus on what's really important, which is you show up and you pound the stone every day because that's what you're going to have to do once you graduate. Mm -hmm. Let's wrap up with this. What advice would you have for your younger self? Now that you have kids, Ooh. which definitely shifts your mindset. Sure does as a coach and an administrator, what would you tell yourself 
younger self. So 24-year-old Brandon, what would I tell you? I think I said one of this earlier, but assume the best. I still believe that even to this day, something I didn't do early on that I would recommend anyone to do. When you go into any meeting, any conflict, coach as a coach, as an AD administrator, with, if you're that conflicts with a parent, a student, a fellow coworker, you got to assume the best. Go into that, be willing to listen, assume that they aren't evil at core. They just have some things they need to discuss. I'd tell that to Brandon, assume the best too. Um, be present. Like, I think a lot of young coaches, especially walk-on coaches, struggle with being present. If you are the head and the face of a program, it's more than just showing up on the basketball court, the two-hour practice, and then piecing out. You have to find a way as an administrator, as a coach, to be present with your programs, your peers, your students, your families. And early on, I think I got that, but I didn't really understand how impactful it was long-term to just be present with your programs and in your, your department and all that. And then quite frankly, I would tell 24 year old Brandon to have some balance, hmm. try to find some balance in your life. And you know, there's always something to do, not saying don't work any less. Hey, but when you're home, turn off the phone or put it down. Or if it's a weekend or a Sunday, even like just find meaningful spaces to balance your life out. And cause I think 24 year old Brandon wanted to go conquer the world. I want to work every hour of the day, be at every event, take on everything. And then you have kids, even with kids, with our first one, I was still like, just bring her with us and we'll go to everything. We'll be at everything. And now we're at two young kids. I just, there has to be a balance. Those would be the three things I would probably throw out most people in my phase of life or early 24-year-old Brandon. Love it. Great advice for anybody listening who is dealing with young children in this <laughs> business. Brandon, thank you for being here. If people wanted to reach out, where can they find you, get a hold of you if they want to have a follow-up conversation? Yeah, you can uh, email me at bgonzalez at pacificaoc.org um, or you can go to our website, pacificaoc.org. Pretty simple. All right, that's it. Thanks for being here today. Yeah. Really excited about getting this out there for uh, the rest of the world to, to mine some of these nuggets you were dropping. Thanks, man. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you gotta keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach and he's never turned down an Teach Hoops member. Sign up plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts.